0: We're going to uh, spend our second week in the book of Haggai. Woohoo! Haggai. I know not a lot of us have read it, uh, and that's okay. Uh, but here, our, our, our theology uh, states this. We believe that the Bible is living. We believe that this book is living and active. And so, any part of it, we believe all of it is God-breathed. That's from 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed. And so, when we uh, come together as the body of Christ, with the Spirit of God, opening up God's Word, we believe that there is true power, there is true spiritual power, and uh, I think churches get off when you don't believe in the power of, of the Word of God, and the entire reformation, or the reforming, if you will, of, uh, of the church was based on this doctrine of sola scriptura, we believe in the power of the Word of God, and to the extent that we get off course with that, um, We believe that that will have uh, consequences. It will have residual effects in our lives um, when we just start um, when we no longer focus on the Word of God. And so, um, those those of you that don't know, we are a Presbyterian church. The word Presbyterian just comes from the Greek, which means elder. We're an elder led church, and we are connected to other churches. In other words, we are not an independent church. And so, we had a Presbyterian meeting yesterday where. About 25 churches get together, uh, pastors and elders from from uh, 25 churches in the Southwest Florida area, and um, kind of hold each other accountable, if you will, um, and make sure we give reports on how our churches are doing. But we want to make sure that all of our churches are focusing on the Word of God because we believe uh, there is power in that. And so, as you come here this morning, I want you to come with an expectation. That God is going to speak to you, and it's, this is living and active. And He's going to speak to you in this moment at 927. I mean, He's going to speak the word that you need to hear right now. But you have to come with a, with a bit of expectation. It's, 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 it's important that you come with uh, this open heart and these open ears so that you can hear the message that God would have for you. Because the theme that we've, we've taken through Haggai is... I think there's a number of people in this room right now that are rebuilding. You're in a season in your life where you feel like, okay, you know what? This is, this is a bit of a reset for me. Maybe in a certain area you think, okay, God, uh, I've just kind of been taken out here. What does it mean? What does it mean to truly rebuild my life? Maybe in this area, maybe your marriage, or maybe it's, it's, it's a relationship that you have with your mother or father or son or daughter. Maybe it's work-related. Maybe, maybe it's just the priorities of your life. And when you think of the macro story of the Old Testament, um, and we went over this at the very beginning uh, last week, we have to remember this, and I showed these maps. The Babylonian Empire came in and dashed all the hopes of the Israelites because everybody thought, okay, Israel is going to grow now. We took the land, we, we have kings, and what we know is it, uh, they did not focus on the Lord. And they focused on um, on other things, and, and they they began to be watered down in their faith, and all of a sudden, they were taken from Jerusalem to present-day Iraq. So, right in there. Here's a picture that I showed last week of the exile. Imagine, you know, a million people walking from Jerusalem to Iraq. That's the story. That's, that's the weeping of the exile in the Old Testament. That's why you have the weeping prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Um, I have Rembrandt's uh, Jeremiah in my office, and he is a weeping prophet, and he's saying, Do "You guys, you guys don't see it. This is this is the consequence of sin. This is what happens." And so they leave. But here, here's what we know: in about 50 years, the Persians took over, and if you follow the green line and red too, but um, they were they were allowed to go back. And so God said, "Okay, I, I'm gonna." use this persian power and you're going to go back to israel and here's what i need you to do i need you to rebuild and as last week uh we talked about uh haggai is the first prophet that was speaking to this generation and what god said through him he said um you guys i'm looking at the construction site of the temple and there's no there's nothing there's no dirt being moved there's no timber coming in nothing's being built w- what happened to this job site why is there why why isn't there why isn't there energy here? Why isn't there movement here? And then Haggai said, "Because when I walk through your subdivisions, I realize you're just focused on your house. Like you care about your wood floors and granite countertops and that your square footage and your bathrooms and your bedrooms. That's what you're worried about. And look at my house. I mean, it's there's. I mean, you barely even have a foundation. It was started, but." it had been stopped for what 17 18 years and god is saying is this the way you're going to rebuild jerusalem you're going to start with your house instead of my house and so all last week we talked about what does it mean right to to reorder our priorities because here's what we need to do we need to move here i need you to rebuild and 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 point your life to the glory of the temple because Zion, and that's where the temple was, right? That was the centerpiece of Jerusalem. And if you read the Old Testament, uh, and, and, you, and you read about how they're supposed to take the land, God is trying to say to you and to me, I am the centerpiece of your life. When you rebuild your city, or when you build it the first time, I have to be the, the first priority. That's the way this city's going to work. It doesn't work. Your house, right? Your city will not work unless the temple is the first thing. And no, no one's... You know, there, there's not one carpenter. There's not there's, there's not one steel guy. There's no you know guy who knows how to uh, you know erect some kind of a wall around it. Why, why is that not happening? I want to bring my glory to your or, or to Jerusalem, to your life. And so here we are in the second because this this book is very short. It's only two chapters, right? And so we did the first chapter last week. We're going to break. Uh, chapter two down uh, into smaller bits, but so we know last week took place over 24 days, and on day one Haggai had a hard uh, had a hard message, but it took them 23 days, and within 23 days they said okay, and they dropped all the stuff, they they stopped all their projects at home, and they went back to the temple. They said okay, we're going to build it, right? We're going to do this, and so this is roughly this is roughly chapter two is roughly a month later. And they are celebrating. Let's go to the next slide. On the 21st day of the 7th month, during, in the Jewish calendar, in this month, the, seventh, uh, the, the 21st day of the 7th month, you would celebrate one of the six great feasts. It was the Feast of the Tabernacles. right? So for one week, here's what you would do. You would build a little tiny hut, right, palm fronds or whatever, and you'd sleep in it for a week. Why would they do this? Why did God set this up in Leviticus? Why did he say, you got to have a party for a week. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to sleep in this little hut for one week. The Feast of the Tabernacle. It's sometimes called the Feast of the Booths. Booth, like a little booth. Because, I want you to remember this. Remember when Pharaoh had you in chains and you were making bricks without straw? Do you remember that? You know what I did? I rescued you. Do you remember... When I brought you out of Egypt and we had to walk into the desert, do you remember that cloud that I gave to you? Uh, That I showed you the way to go and then at night it became this, you know, this unbelievable fireball? Do you remember the direction that I gave you? Don't forget it. Take a week out of your year and remember what I've done. You remember every morning in the desert you had to what? You had to pray for manna, and every morning there was manna on the ground. It would spoil, you couldn't save it up. So what what did the Israelites have to do? They had to believe that manna would be there, and during this festival, in um, in the seventh month of the year, they would remember that. I mean, imagine if you and I had to do that. We couldn't stock up groceries. And every single day, we had to believe that food would be there, miraculously. I mean, imagine the faith muscle that would have to be exercised. Imagine like the, the deltoid you know, muscle that we would have if we had to you know, practice or exercise that type of muscle each, um, each day. They had to believe that water would come from a rock. They had to believe that we can take the land. And even when God says this, walk around a city like Jericho six times and in the seventh time blow, blow some trumpets that the walls will come tumbling down that's what they were celebrating so they were remembering right even in the midst of this rebuild god said order your your year according to these festivals and make sure that you are celebrating um, me and and what i have done in the past and as I, as i think about that how many times have you done that how many times a week or, or, or a year do you sit down with your family and say you know what let's recount Let's recount God's healing in our life. Let's recount where, hey, we were on the precipice here, and I was about to take that jump into the world, into this dark world, and you know what? He saved me when he called you back to himself, and that's what they were doing. And Haggai is saying, okay... Look, we need to continue on. We need to continue to what? To rebuild, right? Rebuild the city of God, to rebuild Zion, because when the Babylonians came in, they crushed the temple completely. I mean, there was no more holy of holies. There was no more holy place. There was no you know, outside court or lavers or anything. I mean, you have to rebuild this whole thing. So here we go. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing to you? He is saying almost rhetorically here, it's been 70 years. None of you saw the old temple. No one remembers the way it used to be, right? Um, And so when you come into the world, when you come in, when when you're retaking the land, when you are post-exile and and trying your life rebuild, here's what he says to you and to me. But now, Westtown, be strong. Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of... Jaseda, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I've covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth the sea and the dry land I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory says the Lord Almighty what is the chief end of man so we have this document that is a very helpful theological document that we study as Presbyterians it's called the Westminster Confession of Faith They took this document and they put it into bite sized little pieces so kids could memorize and learn it, essentially. But the thesis statement of our confession, taken, you know, derived right from the scriptures, and I've said this before, is what is the chief end of man? That man's chief end is to glorify God. That is the point. I don't know if you have a mission statement, but the Bible's mission statement is that God gets all the glory. And when you do that, you know what happens? You will enjoy him because you were made for this. First first question I learned when I was catechized as a young as a young kid. Frankie, what is the chief end of man? Chief end of man's chief end is to glorify God, Mrs. Buswell, and enjoy him forever. Right? She was my she was my teacher. She was my Sunday school teacher. And she actually turned out to be my fourth grade teacher. And she was awesome and very strict. The glory of God is what God wants. He is to be made famous. All the perfection of God is to be proclaimed throughout the world. When the whole earth is full of His glory, we sing this, then what? Then we will have uh, achieved the the world's purpose. Verse 8. The silver is mine. And the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Remember, everything in the earth is mine. Every, anything that you have in the bank, literally in your Wells Fargo account, whatever bank you use, that is the Lord's. All of it is mine. The earth is mine. The, the silver is mine. The gold is mine. Everything in the temple that you brought you think is yours, it's not. It's mine, says the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. I want you to think about this. He's talking about a house, right? And he's talking about the glory has to come. So think about what we are called to do. We're called to be on mission. Why in the world are we called to be on mission? Why do we have a mission statement? Why did Jesus... Uh, Say to you and to me go into the world and make disciples. Well Mission exists because worship doesn't The only reason that you and I have mission Is because there are parts of this world where worship does not exist and you know what happened mission stops when worship is everywhere That's what the bible says When when the glory of god and the worship of god is everywhere and he is magnified Then you know what? We don't have mission anymore Because mission exists where worship doesn't. And so what the Old Testament is, is this unfolding, right? It's this this acorn that's that's now in in, in Haggai, this kind of young oak tree, right? And what it begins to foreshadow is like, there is glory that's going to come to this house. Now think about this. Um, In the Gospels, There's this guy named Simeon. And he's waiting. He's waiting for the promised one. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus to the temple. To the temple. Now there's the temple, and there's baby Jesus. And Simeon, he's waiting for glory. He wants more glory. And here's what he says. As he's holding baby Jesus, a light for revelation to the gentiles and holding baby Jesus and the glory of your people Israel. What is he saying? This is it. This baby is the glory of Israel. This baby, right? You want to talk about a temple? This this is what we've been waiting for. You want to you want to celebrate the feast of the tabernacles, right? the word became flesh and has dwelt among us Simeon realized here he is this is this is where all of the Old Testament is pointing it's not an actual temple building it's a person and he is the glory and that is the climax of what? that's the climax of the covenant of God the climax of the of the of the, of the um, covenant that God had with his people is the person of Jesus and Simeon's holding this baby saying do you get that? hey all the Old Testament right? Israelites, as they're, as they're building the, the, initially the tabernacle and then the temple, all of that is pointing to this little baby named Jesus. Do you recognize that? This is, this is where we are heading. And so when you think about the glory of Jesus in your life, the beauty of, of our faith is this, is that you can have a relationship with the God of the universe Whereas the you know, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, was the only day you could enter into the Holy of Holies, that, that curtain is ripped. The curtain that used to be in there, it's ripped. And now, here's what we know. You, uh, when, when you become a Christian, you say, you know what, this is no longer a, a religion, this is a relationship. If you're here for religious reasons, you shouldn't come anymore. Because we are going to let you down. This is not a religious place. This is a place that is, is hoping to, to help you with your walk with Christ. Have you talked to him today? Have you, did you talk to him last night? Do you regularly speak with the God of the universe who is very personal? And he came in the person of Jesus. But here's what I want to do. I want to go back to verse 4 and 5. I want to pull out three things three points I'm a good Presbyterian to how we do this and maybe these verbs that Haggai gave uh, gave us can maybe help you diagnose yourself because part of what we have to do here on Sundays is you have to diagnose where you are because what we believe is the Bible reads you the Bible diagnoses you and so here's here's verse four and five now when he's When God, speaking through Haggai, says, be strong, Zerubbabel. He's like the governor. Uh, But now be strong, governor of of Israel. But now be strong, Joshua, son of Jazadok, high priest, pastor of Israel. Be strong, governor of Israel. Be strong, pastor of Israel. Be strong, all you people. If you look at the Hebrew, that word be strong could be interchangeable with this. Be courageous. Have courage. Part of what it means to be a Christian is you have to be okay with risk. You you cannot live a, a life uh, of, of Christianity without what? Without taking risks. And some of you are in this room because you know what you want to do? You want to stop all risk. You you want to hedge everything you know my whole my whole goal is to stop risk i do not want to practice courage and what haggai says to the people you understand you're not safe to the north cuz i mean the persians are still they could come in and take you and you know you're not safe to the south because the egyptians are still there right i mean you got people below in the south and 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 you are you are in trouble but here's the way you live as a christian you have to practice courage all you people of the land declares the lord and here's what i need you to do i need you to work i need you to build i need you to build my temple in other words you have to be about your work has to be god focused i need you to work but that but that work needs to be focused on on his purposes and so hey west towner Are you practicing courage? When's the last time you felt like, oh boy, here's a risk. I'm going to share my faith. You have to. You'll die if you don't practice courage. But you do that centered around the work of the Lord. So be strong, what? The verb, be strong. I need you to work, right? Oh, actually, go to the next slide. Oh, okay, never mind. Same thing. Okay, very good. That was weird. And work, for I am with you, okay? So here's what I need you. Be courageous. I need you to work. That's the other verb. But then what else? This is what I've covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains on you. Don't fear. Do not fear. You can't um, allow anxiety, right? You cannot allow that to overwhelm you. Because you know what? Your life will break down. I want you to think about those three ideas as healthy traits of of a West Towner, let's say. Strength or courage, God-focused work, and the absence of fear, which I would call peace. Peace, courage, and God-focused work. Now think about this. If you have all three of those, I think you have health. But Let's walk through these for a second and let's just remove one trait, right? And see what the formula gives us because if we have courage and the Lord's work, God-focused work and peace, I think we're healthy. Now, I'm not saying any of us is going to attain this uh, perfectly, but I am going to say, you know, biblical amounts of courage and biblical amounts of God-focused, you can really experience a healthy Christianity with all three of these traits, with all three of these traits, but... What if um, you remove a God-focused work? What if you are courageous? Your courage, you know, you, 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 you think about taking steps, you, are, you, you feel peaceful, but you know what? The bulk of what you do is not about the Lord. It's about your bank account or your family, ultimately. Now, I'm not saying um, when you do things for your family, that's not bad to do that. It's when family gets ahead of the Lord. Anything that's ahead of, of the Lord, God says, is an idol. That's breaking one of the Ten Commandments. So if you have your family above God, you are uh, an idolater. <laughs> if you have your work above the Lord, you are wor- worshiping an idol. So what happens is you take out the Lord's work or a God focused work, we, you become selfish. You become about you or your kingdom. And so I do believe that we have people that you are taking risks, you are being courageous, right? You're, you're, you're growing, if you will. You are peaceful. When you are with people, there's not an anxiety about you at all. You are, you are good with yourself. But there's a selfish quality that you have that really it's about you when it comes down to it. Even church. Church is about You. It's not about coming and giving God the glory. It's about you and what you want to feel. And so if we take out the Lord's work and we take out that God focus, that's why sometimes, you know what, you have to just go on a missions trip. You need to leave your work. I'm going to leave my family and my work. i got to go on a missions trip. You know why? Because that's accountability for that one week or that two weeks that you are doing the Lord's work. Now, you can still do that in your own, in your world, but sometimes, when I hear people come back, they say, "You know, it's just good to just focus on the Lord, His message, and, um, and and thinking not about me, thinking about others the way the Lord thinks about others." That can help you uh, fight against selfishness. All right, let's go to the next one. What happens? Right you you take um, you take uh, you are doing courageous things. And you are doing things for the Lord, but there's not a peace about you. You think, you know what, I am doing things courageously. I'm taking risks. But the way I live, I worry about everything. And there's just a uh, an anxiety about the way you present yourself to others or the way that you enter into your work or into... Uh, when, you, when you're sitting at the kitchen table, you're just nervous about what the future has, about this person or that person, and you're just thinking of all the things that can happen that can go wrong, and that's what invades your brain. And we become nervous Christians, but what's it like to be around a nervous person? What's it what's it like to sit and, and have a conversation or be on mission with someone who's just nervous? I'm not saying that um, there aren't, you know, Fear inducing things to being a Christian. I'm talking about, you know, when you are um, overwhelmed by it and that becomes a primary trait. And when people, you hear it from those that love you the most. Why are you nervous? Why are you scared all the time? It's just what might happen. That's the converse. And Haggai's saying, I don't want that kind of Christian. God doesn't want that. Do not fear for I am with you. I have called you by name, the prophet Isaiah says. What would it be like for you not to be nervous? And then the last one is this, is when you think about your life and you take out courage. We have a bunch of people who are bored. Right? Bored Christians. Isn't that the worst type? You're sitting there and there's nothing necessarily that they're doing that's wrong. They, they have God-focused work and there's peace about them but you know what they've stopped living on the edge for the Lord they have stopped and you know what they've kind of like the old Ron Popeil uh, the rotisserie chicken you know set it and forget it <laughs> right that's the Christian we become right yeah man I'm on cruise control set it and forget it and you know what Christianity bores you when you when you come to church right over maybe three or four and you're just like really really I mean, okay, church bores me, but it's really not about church. I, I want to know, are you even listening to what God wants you to do? Because you stopped. You stopped having that daily intimacy because what he does, and what he what He does to grow us and to sanctify us is say to people like Paul, hey, here's what I need you to do. I need you to um, leave your town and go to Asia Minor and get in a boat. And you're going to be... Uh, faced with demonic women and demonic men, you're going to be faced with all kinds of of, of physical fears. You're going to be whipped, but you know what? You are going to become the green beret, the Navy SEAL Christian, because you know what? You are going to have to practice courage. And you think Paul, who was never married and did not have money, you think he was bored? You don't think he felt the most alive? And for some of us, this is a struggle because we live in upper middle class suburbia. What does it mean to not be bored? I ask you, are you listening to the steps that God is asking you to take? When you decide to do courageous things, you know what happens to you? You lose friends. You can't stay in the same circles because you can't live that way. And you know what you do? You say, I can't be a part of that. That moment when you know something's happening and it's wrong and you say, I gotta say something. You lose friends. You deal with loneliness, but you know what? You're on the edge. You, you are doing exactly what God wants you to do. When you have those conversations with your son or your daughter that you know you need to have, but you feel like a hypocrite, And you know what you need to say as a parent? Son, daughter, I am a hypocrite. And you know what I deal with, but I still have to have this conversation. Because you know what? God's grace is bigger than all of this. When we look at these different traits to be a courageous, God-focused, peace-filled Christian, we experience a health. And then people start saying, okay, you know what? You have a peace that passes even my understanding. And you know what I think happens? There's an effectiveness to your ministry. But you can't be bored, man. I mean, what is he asking you to do? If he hasn't, I don't think you're listening to God if he hasn't asked you to do a hard thing this month for him. I do not think you're in good communication with him because he's always asking us to do these types of things. So what is it? What is the enemy of your health? Fear, nervousness, boredom, um, selfishness? When we combat these things and we say, you know what? I'm forgiven. I have to remember what Christ did. The whole work of the Old Testament points to the glory of Jesus. When I glorify Him, you know what? I enjoy Him. I'm made for that purpose. And But there's something that's in the way. What is God asking you to do to deal with this morning? Please make this personal. I know that this was written in 520 BC. That's almost 2,500 years ago. But you know what? It speaks to us. Be strong. Work. Do not fear. It's our calling, right? It's our calling to look at this. So let me pray and ask God to uh, change us.